not from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been with us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they are not all of us. Okay. So I'm all, I'll let you guys jump in first and, and I'll, I'll fill in, but, but I'll, I, I will point out that, that a couple of key words here is um, Antichrist is in there twice. Um, it, it starts sort of the defining of the Antichrist. Um, I think it's important last hour that he says, um, we'll, we'll look closely at that. And then uh, he's calling them children again. If you remember the poem last time we talked about children, young men, and fathers, um, we saw that as sort of a mature, uh, uh, a maturity type thing. So he's he's sort of we could kind of say he's kind of coming to an audience that he's speaking to an audience that's maybe struggling or has a lot of questions, mm -hmm. and so he's pointing out some defining terms about antichrist, the last hour, and then he also uses um, therefore we know that that it is the last hour that's a statement there but also i wanted to point out in 19 um the words us and and went out and how he, he's using that i think that's a plain statement so um anybody got any open thoughts and then we'll kind of try to break that down um yeah, matthew seven fifteen came jumped right out into it that was the first thing I thought of, you know, you who come in sheep's clothing, but inwardly ravaging wolves. Uh, it's, it's, okay. hard to, it's hard to imagine church, you have wolves in church, but, you know, that's where we're at, I think. Yeah. So, so uh, Matthew seven fifteen, Paul is what he said, but um, so, so in this this line i think you know i think you got two thoughts in these two verses is that children it is the last hour as you have heard that the antichrist is coming so how so now many antichrists have come so i think one thing that that if you haven't ever thought about that, that you need to think about this and i'm going to give you two times two two moments in time crisis return and and the events of 70 AD when the when the temple was destroyed and up 2000 years later it hasn't been rebuilt so there was a lot about the jewish system that in 70 AD was destroyed and that would have created a tremendous amount of questions about what's going on here all of our forefathers wrote about this so much was about the tabernacle with moses in a tent form and then we had a temple form and then that was destroyed and we rebuilt it. What do we do um, now? This Christ has come, this cross, and now we've lost our temple. What's going on here? Um, and so this children is the last hour and you have heard that the Antichrist is coming so that now many Antichrists have come. Uh, therefore, we know that this is the last hour. The second verse is explaining uh, a, a sort of a second thing they went out from us talking about like i, I put in in my notes the the great falling away now i don't think this is the great falling away but that idea of this great falling away so they've seen one their temple be destroyed but they also see a sense of a great falling away where people are going away and he's describing they went out from us 
but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. And then he goes a little bit like that's like sentence one, but he he, he re-explains that again. And but they went out that it might become plain that they are all not of us. And then, you know, Keith mentioned sheep and um, I mean, wolves and sheep clothing. And so I think this is sort of a timely verse for us in, in our day. Um, and it's probably been a timely verse through all the generations, but just because someone professes to be a Christian, just because someone goes to church does not mean that in the core of who they are, they are, um, a, are for Jesus. Um, let me try to, let me try to get to my note a second and, and I'll give you two verses, just offshoot verses. Um, let me see if I can find it real quick. It's in um, this. Let's see. I'm sorry. Um, that's that's too. I don't see the other one I had. I'll, I'll leave that alone. Um, the um, I thought I had it here. I know what it is. Let me see if I can find it. It's it's First Corinthians twelve three. It says, "Therefore, I want you to understand." that no one speaking in the spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed and no one can say Jesus is, is Lord except in the Holy spirit. Um, Jeff had mentioned John seven, but in John six, 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 we see all these disciples falling away. This is sort of another sort of analogy of where this text or this counseling from a shepherd would have been helpful for the disciples. Like, Hey, we had all these people here, you're feeding 5,000 people. And all of a sudden the teaching gets too hard and they go away. And so when persecution comes, when people are asked to stand for biblical truths, there is a thinning of, of the herd that can happen. And so John is, is comforting his audience here in this situation um, with these words. So I'm going to shut up with that because I want us to get to something else. But, but anybody got any thoughts on that or questions or different perspectives? I think something, something that pops up when I, you know, studied it and talked to people is um, the end of verse 18 when it says, this is how we know we're in the last hour. And then people say, well, you know, in, in Sunday school classes and all, or, you know, well, they thought it was the last hour then. That was, you know, 2,000 years ago. Why should we think it's the last hour now if 2,000 years have gone by? And, and a lot of the, you know, apostles at that time, you know, Paul, for instance, in some of his epistles, kind of alludes to the fact that they thought that Jesus' second coming was going to be, or the rapture was going to be in his lifetime. So I just get a lot of a lot of feedback from that, you know. So trying to figure out ways that you can that when people do ask those questions, we can kind of give them some assurance and all about questions like that. So what do y'all think about that? Yeah, um, Jesus, Jude, Paul, Peter—they all use the term "last days." They believe that that they were in the last days and. Um, you know, 
even if you read uh, the beginning of Revelation and John talks about these things must soon take place, you, you, you all think about this time period of, of, you know, when these things are unfolding. And, um, and so like Dennis mentioned about 70 AD, that was so significant in, in the Jewish time because it was the end of their way of worship. It was the end of the temple. It was the end of the way that they interacted with God and became reconciled with God. So something very important you know, happened, happened on the cross. And, um, I think to this, uh, this term antichrist, you know, I've always heard it as there's, it's this one person who's going to appear as, as antichrist, but, you know, the more I consider this and it says so many antichrists have come, um, I see it as, as something spiritual, some, somebody coming in the spirit of antichrist, someone as, as Dennis said, denied the resurrection, denied who Jesus was, and and they've been there since the beginning trying to infiltrate the church and bring the church down. Mm. Yeah. I did, I did too, so like just 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 real quick on what he said, but so like if they deny the infallibility, the um the uh, or the authority of scripture or the or the the atonement um of 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 the cross covering our sins or the resurrection or the virgin birth. You know, when you ask people these things, you can find that they don't really believe those things. Um, is God a, a is is God a God of love, and is He a God of wrath? And how do those two things work together? So sometimes you can have someone going to a church that talks nothing about nothing but love, or vice versa, someone that goes to a church that talks nothing about wrath, and they don't really know the full. Um, they don't really know God because they, you know, knowing God is, is not just about knowing the God of love or the God of wrath, but knowing how he, how he's reconciled in that, that they're like, like in that issue, if someone harmed your children, I think, so everybody has children here. If someone harms your child out of foolishness, wrath is coming out of you because you love them, you know? So God has wrath because he loves you know, and so we can't we can't separate you know those things. Um, so so you know, like as far as this antichrist, this this um, this this worship in this partial God or this non-biblical God, all that kind of thing. We're we're two thousand years in history, or if you want to say twenty one thousand years in history, um, it's always been there. You know, there's always been a time. So like what Paul's question was, it's last days. They were thinking it was then why we are one day going to see Christ return. And that will be the last day of last days. But I think every generation to some degree has some sort of last days. Like, for example, what if America is in its last days? If, if its government is about to topple within 10 years or 20 years or so, you know, in the Reformation, when the, the people would have thought the Catholic Church is in their last days. So all these different when 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 everybody came over here to America and was leaving um, Europe and that kind of stuff, there would have been a sense of the last days. But what this text is say is is focusing in like when you get at this text, they went out from us because they were not of us. Every time somebody is tested, it shows at their core what they're about. And it separates between 
people that are clinging to the spirit and know that Jesus is the way and people that are trying to go their own way. Hmm. Go ahead, Keith. I'm, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to be that long or jump ahead. <laughs> go ahead. Yeah, I, I was done. Just what, what was you going to say about it? No, I, w I was just thinking, you know, it just brings about the whole body of armor we studied not long ago. You know, the the purpose of that. You sit there and you look at where we've where we've gone, and it's just been a wild year, not only with COVID, but one thing that just still sticks in me, last Father's Day, there was a, a Luciferian parade that was nationwide. I mean, oh, wow. they, they were, uh, you know, ce celebrating Satan and all that, and to see that, and where we're at with the idol of human humanism and so forth in our uh, life. No, it's it's you know the devil's trying to make an insurgent and that's what i was thinking with jeff many antichrists we usually think of the one antichrist with the one world power and all that but you're right on jeff with the many price and it's what we have to battle every day that's good what you think shane yeah to go along with that if you read further down verse 22 it says Part B, it says, this is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. So, yeah, I mean, it could be anything. It could be anybody that's not right. with the truth. Right. That's right. So, so I read, uh, this is just out of a commentary. So, I mean, I know mixed emotions about commentaries, but um, here it says, the second term, Antichrist, is used in the Bible only by John. It describes three things. The spirit in the world that opposes or denies Christ, two false teachers who embody the spirit of Antichrist, and three, a person who will head up the final world rebellion against Christ. And that would be you know, the revelation. Yeah. Antichrist. Yeah. And so second second Thessalonians chapter two, you know, is really excellent for that talking about the man of lawlessness is what what it calls it um you know so you start to really see that that all those sort of little so in a church or let's say let's go back to the feeding of the five thousand all of those people that could not accept the spiritual message of eating my flesh and drinking my blood went away and so in that term you have a spirit of multiple antichrist but as those things come together, you start to see what you would call the man of lawlessness that would all those forces would unite together and um, and have a, you know, an authoritative thing. And I can't say that you're not somewhat seeing that through the social justice movement and critical race theory and things like that, because what the terms you're seeing is you're seeing rebellion, you're seeing lawlessness and you're seeing unity in rebellion and lawlessness. Um, so you've got large groups of people giving unified power of rebellion of lawlessness to certain authority structures. And then you'll, if, if this continues on, you'll see all these authority scriptures begin to give unity and eventually someone will be the head of uh, all of that. So that, I think the key is the spirit of the antichrist is lawlessness, rebellion, lying um 
all of those kind of things. And I think he's speaking directly to that. So, uh, Shane, why don't you go ahead and read um, the next two verses, um, 20 and, and 21, and let's see what that has for us. All right, uh, verse 20. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it and because no lie is in the truth. So the the question I had, so, so note this is the first time in 21 he says, I write to you because you do, because I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it. So just keep that in your knower for a minute. We'll, we'll get to another one here in a minute. But he's given, sometimes it's, it's important to say, why is he writing this letter? What is his point here? And so he's speaking to an audience right now, not, not an audience that don't know the truth, but uh, an audience that does know the truth. Um, but, but my question here was in the first part, it says, but you have been anointed by the holy one and you and you all have knowledge um what do you think about that verse um what does it mean to be anointed by the holy one and and how do we get uh, what's he talking about is this knowledge um what kind of knowledge do they have yeah i think of the first the first example we see of anointing, I think it's in the latter part of Exodus where um, Aaron is anointed as the priest and he was, he was basically set apart. Um, you know, the, the priests weren't given livestock or land or anything to manage, um, which, which most of that was to provide for themselves, but he was to provide for the people and for the work of the temple. Um, and so this, this idea of being set apart for something important um, is, is what I think about when I hear that word anointing. And then even Jesus in, um, let's see, it was Luke chapter four, when he's, when he's in his hometown of Nazareth, remember when he stood up in, in the church and he read from the scroll of Isaiah? And what he read was, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering sight to the blind to set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So Jesus is saying that he was he was anointed. That scripture was about him, and it was to it was to proclaim the gospel. So um, a lot of good things just in those couple of verses, and then you get into who is the holy one. If you remember when the yes. demons, the demons uh, were cast out by Jesus in the synagogue, <laughs> they told him, you know, we know who you are, the holy one of God. Um, so it's, uh, it, it, it draws my memory back to that scripture too. Yeah. So, so going back to the verse you just said, he's in the synagogue and said, I've been anointed. And then he's saying here, you have been anointed by the Holy one, yeah. which we would say is Christ, right? It's him. Yeah. And yeah. He, he passed that anointing that he received onto the father to spread the good news to the captives. He that's now, uh, been given to us. We've been anointed to do the same. I've heard people also say, um, like, you know, Jesus didn't didn't do didn't do his first miracle till after he after he uh, allowed John to baptize him, and the the dove came down, which was symbolic of the Holy Spirit, 
came down on Jesus and then he went out in the, in the wilderness and all. So um, it's kind of hard to wrap your mind around that the son of God is, has been anointed by the Holy Spirit. But, um, you know, I've heard that thrown out there too. So um, in the Old Testament days, the spirit went where it wanted to go, which it still does today. You know, the wind goes here and there, like he talks about when he's talking to Nicodemus. But um, in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit, I think, came upon people. We know for sure that David said, don't take your spirit from me. Um, but it wasn't necessarily until after the resurrection that the spirit came and to dwell in all believers. So I think, it, I think all believers born again Christians are anointed today because the Holy Spirit is upon them. So, you know, if you're walking in the spirit and uh, surrender to the spirit, you're going to, you're going to know the truth. So let me, let me ask you in verse 20 that says, but you have been anointed by the Holy one. Do you think he could have said, but you have been filled with the Holy spirit? Yeah, that, that Greek word for anointed is chrisma, um, C-R-I-S-M-A, and I, I think it means literally to smear or to mark, and um, you've been marked by the Holy Spirit, you've been filled by the Holy Spirit, you've been designated and set apart, you're different than the world, because you are not controlled, you're not in bondage and slavery as the world is, but you've been, um, but you're in bondage to the, to the Holy Spirit or filled with the Holy Spirit. I know there's a lot of different thoughts on that, even in charismatic churches, you know, with not everybody has the Holy Spirit, but this, I think the scripture is clear that we do. I would say yes, Dennis. Mm -hmm. I think that that's, yeah. that's being filled with the Spirit. Well, I think a very simple um, picture that we don't talk about enough, but so when we baptize someone, I'll, I'll probably butcher the words if one of y'all can say it better, but we say, um dead to 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 whatever and 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 rise to new life how, how do we say that when we baptize um can anyone say that clearly um but my point i'll, I'll try it with christ in baptism i say it yeah it's, it's buried with christ in baptism um and then yeah you you're raised out of the water to newness of life i think it's colossians okay so so Jesus dies on our cross. Jesus dies on our cross and is put in a grave. And that's the payment for our sins and what's going to cover our sins. But then he rises, or he, he, he's brought back to new life, he's in resurrection, and then he ascends. And that's that's what what I heard on Steve Lawson say it this way. Um, he said there's a negative, you got to pay this debt. That's the death and, and burial, but there's a positive of this new life. So when we come back and we start talking about anointing and Holy Spirit, that was a imagery, a foreshadow of what's going to happen in us and all of us. Now, we haven't ascended and got a resurrection body and all that, but when we talk about our life and we consider our life before Christ, we didn't have the Holy Spirit in us, and we can testify to that. We know who we were prior to being anointed, to being fulfilled with the Holy Spirit. So, and the scripture says that unless we die, 
you know, we can't have no part of him. And we have to pick up our cross. We use terms like surrender all. So when we surrender all and die to our will and put all of our passions and desires at the foot of Jesus and we die, we find life. One of the paradoxes or that my wife has always thought was interesting is that if you try to hold on to your life, you'll actually lose it. But if you give up your life, you'll actually, you know, gain it. And so we see this picture of the gospel um, in this. Um, if uh, you got that verse, Jeff, did you find it? You want to read it or? Yes, uh, uh, Colossians 2.12, having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him, with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And I'll give you one verse. I, I found about five or six of them, but this is this one is as good as any. But in Ephesians 1, 13 and 14, it says, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit, um, which Jeff was talking about when he was talking about separate, separate um, set apart but sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. That verse has been so comforting to me over the years, both of it for different reasons, but it says that the Holy Spirit is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. That's been so helpful for to me in my pilgrimage state of on the way to, to glory, um, that, that I know what it is to not have the Holy Spirit in me. And I know what it is to have, to have him in me. And, what verse and is so that, he's, then? it's Ephesians, um, one and it's verses 13 and 14. And so as I looked at this anointing and the way he uses it, he uses it in what I think is parallel with a way of, um, of being sealed in the Holy Spirit, guaranteed, confirmed in the Holy Spirit. And so I think you can biblically see a doctrinal thesis that says that, that when God puts his mark on you, what that mark is, is the Holy Spirit living in inside of you and that there are promises and hope that comes from that. So a lot of what John is saying, so that you can know, you know, at the end of the day, so you can know comes to, you know, that you have the Holy ghost living in you. And then when you start having those Abraham doubts where he's thinking like, um, why did I do this with my wife? Saying she was my sister. You're going to have those moments but you know that something's different about you. And because something's different about you, you have a promise and God is going to continue to guide you to where you need to go. Um, and I'm going to shut up. I went too long on that. Um, so he, he finishes up um, just verse 21. I write to you, not because you, you do not know the truth, but because you know it. And because no lie is of the truth. Um, who's next? Keith, Keith you want to read uh, verses 22 and 23? Yes, sir. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. 
No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. So here we here we define. Um, let me try to get back to my. Um, here we define um, the Antichrist. I think most clearly he he does it again in chapter four, and I'm I'm not going to jump ahead there, but I think, you know. We need, and then I think we've talked about that this morning, but we need to define what is the Antichrist. And at, at a, you know, I, I, I believe um, Paul gave th three different versions of that, but it starts at a spirit that that is against God. Like I, I thought about like um, Peter. So in Peter, in Matthew 16, he says, you are the son of God. And he says, flesh and blood did not... Um, reveal that to you but then he's talking about the gospel of going to the cross and being persecuted and dying and rising again three days later and he's like that ain't happened on my watch and so now jesus is like get behind me you know satan um and so it's it's a whether we confess christ or whether we deny christ both of them are spiritual if what the Holy Spirit, Go ahead. If Go the ahead. Holy Spirit puts the knowledge in him, um, to to reference what you said first, that this you do not know this by flesh and blood, or or you know that the Spirit. How come later on he denies him? Did he just did he lose his spirit? I mean, how did what went wrong in between those two time periods? I mean. My thought on that is that it's a pilgrimage. We we are not Christ. We don't live perfect lives after we get saved. So we still we still stumble. So like if you go back to what we've been talking about this morning with Abraham's story, um, you know, in him, you know, he's essentially denying Christ in a sense, uh, or, or God in a sense, when he's um, giving up his wife. So Peter still stumbled. Like even you know, Peter's stumbling was was dramatically changed in acts two when when the holy spirit came his preaching his leadership was was 10 times better than than it was prior so he he, he stood up and became a man of god you know at, at acts two but yet in galatians two we see paul saying brother we got rid of the circumcision stuff what are you thinking you know so peter just seemed to live to some degree or another, always with kind of a little rough around the edges type stuff where you didn't see that with Paul, but they were both saved. We're going to see them both in the kingdom, you know, just some people's lives. You know, I think um, God taught us through Peter, through his bl bl bloopers, and he taught us through Paul with his, his, his excellence. So I think we just should be careful with, with nitpicking and, and judging everyone because and just look to Christ. Look to Christ of what specifically is he talking. So we don't, I mean, is anybody on here since they got saved, they, they've lived a perfect life and never sinned again? Like, I don't even, I think that's even a heresy. You know, that's what Todd White teaches. You can look him up. You know, um, he, he said in 12 years he hasn't sinned. <laughs> you, know, he, you know, so so whatever. <laughs> but, but, so does that answer your question or did I... Want to say something? Yeah. Okay. So, I'll, I'll kind of follow up on that. Uh, two things. One thing is when um, 
when when that uh, interaction went on with Peter, that was you know before the crucifixion and resurrection. So Peter wasn't hadn't received the indwelling of the Holy Spirit at that time, but also kind of um, adding on to what um what Dennis just said. You know, Paul talks about you know what a wretched man am I? The, the thing I do, the things that I I don't want to do, and the things that I want to do, I don't do. Um, we know about, you know, Barnabas and, and Paul, two spirit-filled early Christians that had a, a great conflict went on. Um, even in the letters of Paul, he describes things that he did, but I mean, he, that, that, that that thing happens, but he didn't, we don't know really what happened. We just know the letters that he wrote. Um, so, you know, when we're indwelled by the Holy Spirit, uh, you know, a battle starts at that point. People that aren't saved, there's, there's no real battle going on. It's just they're living for the world 100%. Uh, when we're indwelled by the Holy Spirit, the flesh doesn't disappear. Um, the temptation to want to sin, the pleasures of sin don't disappear. We just at that time have a helper, a comforter, uh, but we still ultimately have to make the choice. Are we going to walk in the Spirit, follow the Spirit, surrender to the Spirit, or are we going to surrender and give up and continue to walk in the flesh? Um, so that's two things. One thing, Peter wasn't indwelled by the spirit at that time. Mm. And the spirit of Antichrist was came upon him as soon as he, he and you know that happens to us as soon as we seem to make a victory for the Lord. I know with me, almost immediately I seem to stumble and and and, and get and get attacked and uh feel like you know one step forward and two steps back sometimes. So, you know, when I think when Jesus said, Get behind me, Satan, I think he he was not really talking about physically Peter get behind me, but he's talking about the spirit of the Antichrist. It's in opposition to him that's trying to influence Peter there. You know, get behind me, get away from me, get away from Peter. So, um. Yeah. And even P Peter was a fisherman. He wasn't educated. Paul was educated in the scripture. So, you know, when they got touched by the Holy Spirit, you know, a fisherman can only be, you know, <laughs> you know, it's the Holy Spirit multiplies what's inside of you. So you got one guy that's just a simpleton and then another one that's been studying the word of God, got it completely wrong and done killed some people over the issue. And and so there's a lot of dynamics there, you know, I think. But but I think the the, the common denominator is that you're not called to be um how did this, this guy said it this way. Uh, well, I'll, I'll say you're called to be faithful to what you've been given, not to what you haven't been given. So Peter was faithful to the Holy Ghost and a fisherman lifestyle. Paul was 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 faithful to a murderer and a biblical teaching, and he should not have done that. And, you know, and the Holy Ghost. So they how the Holy Ghost changed both of them, just like when you see a a drug dealer gets saved. There's a different output from that, from someone that was just an upstanding citizen, but had a sin problem, just like everybody does, you know, because it don't matter how good you could be a good husband and a good dad and a good son, but you still got a sin problem and you need Jesus and a savior, just like the drug dealer. But you're, 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 you're after death, I always say BC after death, but you're after Christ experience after the cross, your story's gonna be different, you know. Um, 
anybody else? Well, we, we finished up with 23, is that right? Uh, who we got? Well, um, I guess I'll finish up this last one since Paul jumped off. But uh, but notice the first part, it says, I write. And I told you to remember back up in 21, he says, I write. And we talked about pet positive and negative concepts. Um, we talked about the spirit of the Antichrist, kind of in a ne negative concept. But he encouraged us um, with our anointing and um, our knowledge and remembering what we first believed in the positive way. But in verse 26, he says, I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. That's a pretty clear thing. When you're asking yourself, sometimes in, um, in, in um, interpreting scripture, we, we, we say, what was the original intent of the, um, of the author? And he spells it out pretty plainly. Um, that in this passage, he is writing because some people are trying to deceive his audience. And then when we look back to the other one that I told you in verse 21, he says, I write to you because you do not. I write to you because you do not know the truth, but because you know the truth. So the positive is he's saying, guys, you know the truth. But there are some people that are trying to, to, to deceive you. And, and I think that's a good word for us right now. I, I think we should just realize that we know the truth. And whether we're a young, uh, whether we're children, young men, or uh, fathers in our sanctification conforming into the image of Christ pilgrimage, we know the truth from the beginning. You know, if we're in Christ, we know the truth. We might know it at an infant level, but we know the truth. And so he's saying, look, Wolves in sheep clothing are going to come. They're going to try to deceive you. They're going to have trickery words. They're going to, you know, do these things. But you know the truth and cling tightly to the truth. Abide in the truth. Uh, but he, in verse 27, he says, but the anointing that you receive from him abides in you. And you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie just as it has taught you abide in him so look at this you know what what does that remind you of this you know and, and i'm speaking about the word teaching if you if you take that last line the anointing that you received from him abides in you and you have no need that anyone should teach you what what does that remind you of elsewhere in scripture have you ever heard anything of, like that before it reminds me of um you don't need anything new uh you know that's separate from what you heard from the beginning so if, if these false teachers come in with a new doctrine or a new belief um that that's not something that you need to adhere to or abide in just abide in the truth Yeah. Um, let me read this. Uh, I, I, I cut a couple out of John of his gospel in John 14. It says, these things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you of all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. 
He says in chapter 16, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority. Whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. And just from memory elsewhere, it says, don't worry about what you say. In that hour and time, the Holy Spirit will give you the words, you know, to, to say. Um, and then I love in, in 14 where he says, um, I'm going and I, I, I'm, I'm leaving, but I'm not going to leave you an orphan, as an orphan. It's good that I go away because the Father will spend, send the Comforter, the Promise, the Holy Spirit to guide you and all those things. So uh, I just thought, you know, I know it's the same author, and he's using anointing here versus Holy Spirit. Is any other version using some word other than anointing that y'all are reading? I didn't look into that, but but if you if you listen to the framework of the language um, and you ask yourself, what is that anointing that's going to teach us? Um, but but that's comforting. That that should be encouraging and comforting. That hey. Like I was thinking about the other day, we live in a world where different people have thoughts about prepping and getting ammo and two weeks of food and all this kind of stuff. And I called a guy in law enforcement a, a while back about something that that was that was going on that kind of created a little anxiety. And um, and I said, do you think this, this and this will happen? And he said, he said, man, Christians are so weak. You know, he just he's like, what is wrong with nobody's got no faith, you know, but he's like, dude, before Christ comes back, it's going to get bad, you know, and he just, he started just gigging on me like a, like a wrestling match, but, uh, but the point I thought about when we were talking is that when the disciples were with Jesus and they went out, they did take an extra cloak, extra sandals, they didn't make hotel arrangements, you know, none of that, and, and at some point, we can do those things. We we shouldn't have to be stupid. I mean, well, I mean, we should be stupid. I mean, if a hurricane's coming and we want to have a little food, you know, in the house. But but what does all that do? I, I talked to a guy yesterday, and he had ammo and food, and he flooded in 2016 and lost it all. You know, what I mean, your trust has got to be in something bigger than your your ability to prepare. Uh, don't be an idiot and don't do anything. But don't let your pre preparation consume you. Um, so I would leave us with this text here on the keyword teaching. He, he, he uses it three times. He says, you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as this anointing teaches, as the anoint, his anointing teaches you about everything in truth and is a lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. You know, my philosophy has become with what we do at this Bible study is I want to encourage you to abide in your word. I want to encourage you to read through your Bible on a regular basis. I want you to encourage you to have the tools to look closely at scripture, ask questions that challenge you. But the teacher of what we've done this morning and what we've done every week is not me, but the Holy Spirit. And my goal is just to try to encourage or equip you in whatever way I can to trust more in God's word. Uh, I'll leave you with this one story 
um, me and my wife will, in March will come up with uh, 22 years of marriage. And prior to that, so it was over 22 years ago, I was, I, I when I met my, my wife, it was because I was crazy in love with reading scripture. And over 22 years, at some point in the journey, my passion for scripture changed because the seed of scripture became more about distributing the scripture and, and, and the pure love that I had for scripture was altered maybe for a love for people or a love for ministry or something of that nature. But somewhere along the line, I got off the path of just reading scripture for the sake of reading scripture because of what it did inside of me, not, not about where it's going to take me, not about just, just what it did inside of me. And so when my wife met me, I had a focused view on scripture that scripture was the key source that I had available to me. And, and, and what I mean by that is when I would read it, the Holy Spirit would make it alive and it would put pieces together. So like, like I started Proverbs last night and I hadn't read in a long time, but I, I'm, I'm excited about reading it again, but it began, scripture began to frame up that all the answers I really, really need are in this. I've just got to mine it and find it, but I, I was able to put my hope in it. But this is the point I want to make to you is sometimes the scripture talks about repentance or conviction as a gift. Now, if, if you're convicted, it's easy to repent and you can get forgiveness. But what happens is when you get away from your word, you get away from the best tool you have to bring about conviction in your life. And so if there's a hidden sin in your life that maybe you're not even aware about it, the, the most likely place that's going to shine light on that situation and cause you to be convicted about it and to repent about it is going to be in Scripture. Because at church, sometimes we get that experience at church. Sometimes we get that when someone speaks into our life. But I want to say that um, that most of the time it comes from us being serious with Scripture in our, in our own private place and letting God just do the work that he does. And the reason I say that is if our churches are going to be strong, it's based on men and women that fall in love with scripture because we talked about light and dark darkness, um, you know, in the first part of this, this series, but the light bulbs brightness is about how an individual interacts with scripture. And so a church can only be as bright as it's people's interaction with scripture. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. yeah. So closing That's thoughts, Jeff. Good study this morning. Abide in the truth. And um, remember what we heard from the beginning. So I, I really enjoyed the passage. What you think, Keith? I just love what you just said, you know, about staying in the word, because I was I pulled back up Ephesians. The sword is the only weapon of offense in the list of armor, right? Mm -hmm. You don't have a mighty mm -hmm. sword. 
we defend ourselves, huh? So That's very that. Thank you. I just you were speaking from John 14. I wanted to back up to 12. I assure you, the one who believes in me will also do the works that I do, and he will do even greater works than these. That's the assurance of of abiding in him. You know. Uh, accepting his lordship and everything that for the longest time just uh bewildered me for a lesser word but you know how are we going to do greater things than jesus himself but he tells us through him through him we can do great things so yeah just yeah. an incredible study this morning guys what you think shane yeah, I was reading ahead uh, just the last two verses in here, just about having confidence. Um, now I'll go ahead and read it. And now, little children, abide in him so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practice, practices righteousness has been born of him. So basically... Stay in the word, be prepared. And when he does come, we're not ashamed of where we're at in our walk. Oh, yeah, that's good. So we'll, we'll read, we'll, we'll try to make it all the way. If I'm trying to look at it, we're finishing up to, so we'll, we'll try to, to do those verses you said in all of chapter three next week. If, if we can get that far, if not, we'll add a week to it. Mike, are you there? Did you want to share any final thoughts before we get off? Yeah, guys, I'm here. Um, listen to most of it, had a few distractions, but um, no real closing thoughts. I appreciate appreciate you guys sharing. It was, it, I disagree with what Jeff said. It was a really good study. Well, good. Well, you want to close us in prayer? Can you do that? Or are you? Sure, sure. You guys have anything specific we need to pray about? Um, I don't see anyone jumping on that, but I, I know we all got needs, Mike. So, yep. yep. <laughs> the Lord knows what they are. Yep. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for this day, Lord. I thank you for this group of guys that um, can come together, um, although it be virtual. Uh, thank you for the technology and um, giving us the ability to still meet together. <laughs> Lord, we pray for just um, just our lives in general, Lord. Um, I heard, heard Den Dennis mention earlier about the responsibility that we have as husbands and, and as dads. Lord, I just pray that you would um, truly gift us and anoint us to do those things, to, um, to be a rock in our families, Lord. Help us to be the men. Um, help us to be the husbands, help us to be the dads that you've called us to, um, and not for our glory, Lord, not for our family's glory, but ultimately for your glory, and that when when people point to, to us and, and maybe provide compliments, we can always just point uh, those praises up to you, Lord. I just pray for, um, for us as we um, just go to church today, Lord. I, I pray that you would equip our pastors to preach truth and help us to receive it, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, guys, y'all have a good day. Yep. Take, you have a good week. Okay. Thanks.